Northanger Abbey was completed in the year 1803 by Jane Austen, but was not actually published until 13 years later. At the beginning of the book, Austen includes a note that says, quote, The public are entreated to bear in mind that 13 years have passed since it was finished, more since it was begun, and that during that period, places, manners, books, and opinions have undergone considerable changes. Much like Austin, we started recording the third season of this podcast over five months ago, but haven't published any of the episodes. Until now! That's... Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's editing. It's hard. Um, Our audience is entreated to bear in mind that references to times of the year, current events, and current reads or watches may seem dated. In this digital age, five months may as well be 13 years. With that said, we are pleased to announce that our third season will feature Northanger Abbey, and this is the very first episode. We love to be on theme. So join us in reading this delightful book, Jane Austen earliest completed novel. We're so happy to be back. Welcome. Hi, how you been? Hi, I'm Laurel. And I'm Akina. And this is Jane Austen Culture Night. In this week's episode, you will find baseball, ugly people, crowded rooms, and the tragedy of a happy childhood. There will be spoilers and maybe some cursing. This week, we're reading chapters one and two in Northanger Abbey. Yay! Yay. (laughs) Talk about Northanger Abbey, which is (laughs) so exciting. Let's talk about Northanger Abbey. Oh my gosh. I was, you know, honestly, I was worried about this because. Yeah, because I've read Pride and Prejudice a million times, Sense and Sensibility a bunch, Persuasion also a trillion times. And so I know that I love them. And this one in Mansfield Park, I've read like once or twice, but it's been like minimum 10 years, probably closer to 20 since I've read them. And uh Oh my God, I'm so old. Um, <laughs> and I was just worried. I was like, I don't remember like liking it a lot, but I think I read it when I was really young and I mm. didn't understand how funny it was supposed to be. So I was just like, I don't know if I like this girl. Yeah. But reading it now, I'm like, this girl is the best. She's I love great. her. I aspire to be her. Yeah. Um. I suppose we should start. So we read the first two chapters. Right. Catherine Moreland is her name. Yes. And she's just... Our (laughs) anti-heroine. Oh, my God. The way she's introduced is so funny. Um, And and the whole idea is that this girl, like, just wants to be a... Do you say it? Heroine? Heroine, yes. Heroine. (laughs) Um, But it says, like... It says her own situation in life was was against her because her parents were really nice. They had enough money. Yeah. Her she's not is, an orphan. She's, she's not an orphan. <laughs> um, she has a big, happy family. Um, she's the fourth out of ten. Poor mom. Right. <laughs> she but three. her mom is but her mom didn't die in childbirth. No. She's very healthy and she's like a sweet normal woman. <laughs> yes. And and Jane Austen is recounting all these facts as if they're like that's really sad because <laughs> it like doesn't provide a good backstory for Catherine Moreland and that's right. really hard for her. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so she's the fourth, she's the first daughter um and it's like and she's very, Jane Austen is very clear that Catherine Moreland is fucking ugly. Yeah. <laughs> when she's a kid. She's yeah. an ugly kid. It <laughs> says um, uh, she's plain. She has a thin, awkward figure, a sallow skin without color. See, this is not, this is not like, I don't know. I feel like I grew up reading like all these books from like the 50s and 60s and 70s about like, Cause I feel like that's when YA was like really getting its feet mm. and um, there'd be all these like stories about like 
the girl who wasn't so pretty and 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 she had freckles and right. brown hair, not blonde hair. Right. And of course it's like this ugly duckling thing where like she's beautiful in the end. Mm-hmm. And um this is not that. She's like Jane Austen's like, no, she's actually ugly. Like, well, and also she's like a a tomboy. She likes to play and run around and roll down the hills. And I love when they were describing that she, the only time she picks flowers is is to make mischief because she always picks the ones she's not supposed to. Yes, she's very (laughs) naughty. She, um, yeah, but she's still describing her features. She says, dark lank hair and strong features. Yeah, and then she's like, also her mind isn't, um, her mind isn't formed. Like she doesn't understand math. She doesn't understand any of her lessons. By the time she like is able to memorize her po- a poem, her younger sister already did it better. Full description of Catherine Moreland about how she like, um, you know, she picks up the piano. She really wants to do the piano. And then she's like, eh, I don't like it. And then like, you know, the way that she is with her lessons and then just like running. I was like, this is screaming like ADHD girly. Like she's. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. And her mom is also not strict about like her. She do- Her mother doesn't care about her being accomplished. Like, yeah playing piano or drawing she's really bad at drawing um she's like she she like she doesn't mind reading but what she doesn't want to read like the stiff like literature she wants to read novels she wants to read exciting like fun things yeah she um okay but Jane Austen does make it clear that Catherine wasn't like a really bad kid it says she doesn't have a bad heart or a bad temper she's seldom stubborn scarcely ever quarrelsome and very kind to the little ones with few interruptions of tyranny she was just noisy and wild and hated confinement and cleanliness and loved nothing so well in the world as rolling down a green slope at the back of the house yes which I was just like, yeah. So she's just like she's a kid. She's, she's a, a wild kid. kid. Yeah, I feel <laughs> like I see a lot of myself in that. I I was like, oh, this is Akina's gonna love this because <laughs> <laughs> also it describes later how she like rides horseback. Yes, on the horse. I was like, oh, this is right up her alley. <laughs> yeah, she didn't want to be like she she didn't want to read books of information yes um she wanted to play cricket and ride horseback and run around the country yes um so she sounds fun and then we we learn later that most of this description is her at like 10 years old so you're like oh yes that is yes child like why wouldn't you know it's so funny it sounds Um, like her parents are doing a good job parenting they're just like these are like this is like like the healthiest most stable family (laughs) there's like some benign neglect like okay if you don't want to learn how to draw fine like if you don't want to if you're having trouble with your lessons like yeah go play but yeah I kind of wish we still did that (laughs) it's very it's very homeschool unschooling vibes but without the weird like well even though her dad is a clergyman it's like without the super weird Christian stuff yeah 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 we're like Um, gonna say that dinosaurs don't exist or something yeah so we get a description of Catherine and her family, um, mostly her parents, um, and and we get a short description, a little bit of, do we meet them, the Allens? Um, we learn who the Allens are, Mr. Yes. and Mrs. Allen, who are their neighbors, um, but who also own most of the property in the town. And they're friends and, and Mrs. Allen specifically really likes Catherine and, um, you know, they hang at their house and um, they're they're very nice to the family. And then um, when we start this story, Catherine is 15 or 17. They say by she's 17, I think, by the time she we're actually really starting but but they there's a paragraph where they say at 15 like her looks yes. start changing and she's becoming more pretty and like 
Her figure is, you know, she's going through puberty. She's <laughs> yeah. And girl. it's not like it, there. She, Austin is very clear to say it's not that she's become like it's not the ugly duckling situation. Yes. She's not a swan. She's right. just a nice duck. Right. She's like it says she, her parents remark about how she's changed for the better. And they'll say to each other. Catherine grows quite a good looking girl. She is almost pretty today. Yes. <laughs> and Catherine is just fucking psyched at that because she knows how ugly a kid she was. And she is like, for someone to say she's almost pretty, that is very exciting. Yes. Yes. Um, and Austin is very clear to point that out several times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... Um, Mr. Allen and Mrs. Allen, which to be clear, it's not a situation like in Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility or any of these books where there's like some kind of benefactor and they all have to like kind of right. bow down to them. There isn't this any is- financial. I mean, they're they're uh, they're not a wealthy family, but they're not impoverished or in danger yeah. of like losing their wealth or something. No, they're- it's. It yeah. seems like there's a great income, both um, for the dad. It seems like he has some kind of inheritance. Plus, he has two different parishes. So he's yeah. getting income from two different, like, towns, essentially. Mm-hmm. So he's doing great. But it seems like Mr. and Mrs. Allen, like, are a little bit more wealthy. And they are going to go to Bath because Mr. Allen has gout. Yes, and um and Mrs. Allen likes Miss Moreland, and so she uh, she they invite her to go with them. Yes, so that's um, where we pick up in chapter two is Catherine heading to Bath with the Allens, and this is like um, also a very different beginning than a lot of the other novels because it's yeah. taking she the, she's right at the beginning of the novel we're taking her away from her home it's like a fish out of water story it's also like a very coming of age story this is yeah. like her first time out in society out in like a city atmosphere from the country um they go dress they go shopping because mrs allen really uh it loves fashion um and then they end up in this crowded uh, they go to the ball and they end up at this crowded ball where they can't find seats and they don't really know anybody. And it's kind of anticlimactic. But I think uh, Jane Austen does a really good job describing like the claustrophobia of a cl- crowded room and like the awkwardness yes. of like not knowing anybody and trying to find a seat. And all, I, I really felt that a lot. Yeah, it was. You definitely realize Jane has been there before. <laughs> yeah, she's like, she's like <laughs> yeah. Catherine's so excited to go to this party, and then she gets there, and it's super crowded. And they open the front door, and they're like, "Oh, maybe if we get past this crowd, like we can like go and sit down somewhere and yeah. see the dancers dancing and everything." And they're like, "The further they get into the room, the the more they realize that like it's just crowded everywhere yeah. and there's like no reprieve until finally, finally, finally they find like a little bench to sit on, but then like then it's like time for refreshments. And Mr. Allen from the very beginning of the ball has just like abandoned them because yeah. there's a room where he can go play cards. So they don't have like a man to go fetch tea things for them. Right. Or to, and to kind of facilitate Mrs. Allen doesn't know anyone in the room. Mrs. Allen keeps repeating. <laughs> oh my dear. I wish you, we knew people here. So you could dance with someone because right. of course, like, she needs to, to be introduced. introduced to people and you can't just introduce yourself. Maybe if Mr. Allen was more attentive, like maybe he could have figured something out, but it's like, seems pretty unheard of for just a girl or even a full grown woman to like, just walk introduce up to strangers. Themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And so Mrs. Allen is just like a broken record and keeps saying, Oh, I wish there was something we could do. And Catherine's and just then- like, yeah, there's, 
<laughs> You've said uh, that and she randomly times. randomly comments on other people's fashions. Everyone <laughs> to other other women's dresses. Yeah, and then that's just kind of, and then towards the end, everyone's filtering out, and so there's like a little bit more room to breathe, and um, and again, Austin makes it clear that this is not the moment where then people are able to see Catherine and realize how beautiful she is. But a couple men did see her and said that she was a pretty girl. Right. Um, And so she, that was like the little sweet um, thing that happened that made the rest of the night feel like it wasn't so bad. Yeah. She was like, Oh, this was a win. It was all worth it. (laughs) I also love how Mrs. Allen is described. Um, She's very, like you said, she's very into fashion, but also uh, Austin makes clear that she's also not beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, there's this part about how, like, how any man got, how she got any man to marry her. I was like, man, Jane Austen is ruthless. (laughs) She's so ruthless. It's shocking. She says... Mrs. Allen was one of that numerous class of females whose society can raise no other emotion than surprise at being there being any man in the world who could like them well enough to marry them. She had neither beauty, genius, accomplishment, or manner. The air of a gentlewoman, a quiet, a great deal of quiet, inactive, good temper, and a trifling turn of mind were all that could account for being the choice of a sensible, intelligent man like Mr. Allen. <laughs> oh my god yeah so she loved to she loved fashion and essentially that's it yeah um but austin is so ruthless. She, yeah she's really ruthless in her descriptions here even earlier we didn't mention you know when she was talking about Catherine, she calls her stupid and like, like yeah. wow <laughs> i really want to see like i don't remember i'm sure i have but i don't remember watching any adaptation of this and i kind mm-hmm. of wonder i feel like the bbc might do a tolerable job but i wonder if hollywood has ever tried to adapt this and like just like Maybe like throw Gwyneth Paltrow into one of these like one of these situations where they're you know she's like supposed to be an ugly girl right. or something. Um, there's a good. I really like the adaptation. There's one with Felicity she's one Jones, of the, one of the brunettes in the new Star Wars movies, right? Yes, yes. I don't. The new Star Wars. Uh, two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's um Felicity Jones and the guy who plays uh, Henry Tilney is really good too. He's a British actor. What's his? Uh, is it? Um. Let's find it. I really liked the way he did Henry in that adaptation. Um. It's a fun. It's a fun one. Okay. I don't feel like she's ugly enough, but you know. <laughs> Um, I mean, she's less of the like traditional beauty, you know what I yeah. mean? Like the traditional sort of like blonde, blue eyed, um, although I think she still has blue eyes, but <laughs> <laughs> they let a brunette oh, in there. JJ, JJ Field uh, plays Henry Tilney and he's very charming in that role. Um, Carrie Mulligan plays Isabella Thorpe. Oh my God. Yeah, it's a good it, it's a good one. I like it. Okay, I'll check it I, out. Maybe after we do Yeah, I feel like this novel like actually lends itself better to a film adaptation, be just because of like it's shorter and because of the humor and the. Oh yeah, it's you know so I mean? funny. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I could definitely see that. It's not like persuasion where everything's like this quiet simmer where you're not yeah. like the restraint is the key. And so how are you supposed to show that for two hours? And right. Right. And this is, you know, we're, we're going from sort of the most mature novel to like the most youthful. Yes. <laughs> this one. Yeah. This definitely reads like, like I was saying, the kind of like those random old stories I read as a kid about like some girl who was like, I don't know. It was like some kind of morality tale almost, mm-hmm. but like 1950s or 60s version. And it's just yeah. like this tomboy who learns 
you know, who learns how to grow up or I don't know. Right. <laughs> I don't know. It's very forgetful. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm very much on um, Catherine's side about, especially about her taste in books. Like, mm-hmm. I have such a hard time to this day reading nonfiction. Uh, yeah. Like a good book length nonfiction. I can read like a New Yorker article or something. Um, but yeah. And also I feel like when this era that she's talking about, like is when like all these like morality tales became really popular. Yeah. I've read a couple of them from back in the, from that period, like Evelina. Oh my God. I feel like we don't do our research here, but (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, I, they're just so preachy. Yeah. I even looked up. So it says that she, that Catherine learned the fable of the hare and many friends. Oh, yeah. So I looked up that fable and it's really stupid and sad. It's about like this rabbit or this hare that has many, many friends. And then when they hear, but then they hear the sound of the trumpet of the hunt. And so they know the dogs are coming. Yeah. And so... The hare is like, I got to get out of here. And so the hare asks all of her or his friends to help them escape. They ask the horse for a ride and the bull for a ride and the goat for help and the sheep for help. And all of them turn them him down. They mm-hmm. all have excuses. They're like, I'm really busy right now. Yeah. And so then the hare has nobody and then like has to run away on its own Uh uh-huh and it's just like so it's not great to have a lot of friends like what is the point of this story like like, don't rely on other people just run for your life yeah for help (laughs) i'm like i don't know i still think it's a good idea to like make friends with people like maybe (laughs) also like are those are those other animals actually true friends it sounds like they weren't really friends like yeah yeah, I, I just like whatever. Get out of here with something that's trying to teach me. <laughs> yeah. Um. Also, it said that she was really stupid because it took her like three months to learn this p- poem called "The Beggar's Petition." Yeah. And I I looked up that poem and it's really really long. Yeah. <laughs> It's not just like a little haiku. It's like, there's a lot of words. I was like, okay, maybe don't get so mad at her for taking a few months to learn that. I mean, is this part of, is this part of Austin being funny too, of being like, yeah, everybody takes that long because this poem is super hard. And yet in, in, these, in books where women are supposed to be accomplished or this yeah. ideal of womanhood, it seems like everything comes easy to them and they just memorize a poem out of nowhere. You know, this could be Austin like being humorous yeah although it does say that her sister memorized it quickly but right yeah (laughs) yeah I'm just firmly on Catherine's side like yeah she likes to read it seems like she likes to read novels of like the her like the early novels where it's just like you know sword fights and and uh pirate ships and 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 ruffians Mm -hmm. um yeah on every page Yes. Um, but yeah, I would really actually like to read more of those novels, <laughs> like the ones because I read that like, um, like when novels were really first being invented, like they didn't have the structure we have now, and yeah. it was just like a bunch of chaos and like every chapter, and it yeah. was. I feel like that sounds like my speed. Yeah, I'm like yeah. And, I, and, you know, around this time, too, the the novel was, you know, now in a modern sense, we consider novels as literature. But yeah. back then, it wasn't. Uh, like, yeah. literature was more poetry. It was... Um, uh, you know, Shakespeare, it was, it was a different, um, it was, it was these like morality parables and sermons and, um, essays and novels were not part of the, that 
literature canon. And it was it wasn't sort of until, you know, after Jane Austen's time, but this was like when it was forming, when the novel started to become it was very popular, but it wasn't considered like high art. Or yeah, like, it's like video it's games of part today. of the canon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like they're not so, art or whatever. Right. You know, you don't go to a museum to see a video game. And also novels during this period and before became very heavily connotated with women. Yeah. Women who were authors and also who were the main readers of this type of writing yeah um so of course it was devalued as yes. like a serious or uh worthwhile yeah percentage. and then it it was considered that like sl- you know slatternly women like you know didn't do their housework and instead sat around and reading novels and it was like a big issue right or there were also like morality um uh, you know, because a lot of the the novels have like sex, and yeah. you know, or at least the hint, of the, sex. Hint, the hint of sex, or not even just sex happening, but like desire, you yes. know, of like a woman one desiring someone, or like the danger of, and murder, and I could start talking about Udolfo now because yeah, I know I was like we're basically just talking about Udolfo. Yeah, it's got it's great. It's got pirates. It's got <gasps> ruffians. Really? It's, it's got castles. It's got secret passageway. It's got murders. It's got like uh family secrets. It's great. It's really uh yeah. It's fun. It's very melodramatic. Um, which is also <gasps> fun. Yes. And um, there's a lot of fainting, a lot of crying. The um, the main character, Emily, is um, she she faints a lot. She gets very overwhelmed with her emotions. But like also she's going through a lot. Like so much stuff happens to this girl. <laughs> like one of those things where it's like just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And you're like, oh, my God, someone rescue this this woman um yeah she's got an evil aunt that i appreciated when they were talking about um uh mrs allen and you're like now you think that she's going to be like this awful like evil stepmother type but she's not she's nice and like that's very much what emily's aunt is in Uh. she's like this really mean like calloused like always disciplining her and accusing her of like things and stealing actually stealing her letters thwarting her attempts to like marry her lover and like all of yeah yeah um that, it's great. That sounds awesome. And just for anyone who's listening who doesn't know why we're talking about this book, it's a book that was very popular at the time, although yeah. nobody really talks about it now. Um and it's referenced a couple of times, especially I think in Emma, where uh it's like it's a very popular book that the girls are reading. So they'll yeah. like reference well- it. And Catherine is active. She later, she's actively reading the book in this oh, okay. novel while okay. everything's going on. And the characters refer to it like, oh, have you read this? Um, and the author, Anne Radcliffe, was a very popular author. Um, we know Jane Austen read her. Like, she's obviously read uh, these works. Um, and this this style of writing, this, like, gothic narrative was very popular. And at this point, like, very formulaic like there's a certain you know tropes that have evolved which is the things that Jane Austen is commenting here of like oh your heroine has to be an orphan and have all of these misfortunate circumstances and a dark backstory and all you know a mean aunt and yeah so yeah I don't know why I'm like I just keep thinking about Grey's Anatomy or something where it's like and then there's a plane crash and then there's a bomb in someone's body and then Grey's Anatomy it really is do you know what else I wanted to say about the actual book what (laughs) um well there were two things one was she mentioned liking to play baseball and my like idiot American brain. I thought somehow we invented baseball. I thought the British had cricket and we had right. baseball. Yeah, the American and pastime. 
Yeah, and I looked it up, and no, it was invented in England, probably, like, very, very recently, like, very, uh, just a couple decades before uh, this book was written. Mm. Um, I think the first official game was, like, only, like, 10 years before the book. But it, like, seems to have evolved out of a different game called Rounders, which I've heard British people reference, but I still don't understand. But it's, like, like just a game that kids would play on the playground and stuff. Um, You know what probably happens? Because this is what happens to a lot of things with the British... uh, if it becomes popular in America, then all of a sudden the British people are like, oh, we don't like that anymore because that's so American now and we're over it. Like I, when I found out that British people used to also call soccer, soccer. (gasps) They did? Yes. Listen, (laughs) they called it soccer and football like they were it was like a term (gasps) interchangeably. And then when Americans started playing soccer and calling it, you know, mostly calling it soccer, then (gasps) then it went out of fashion in Britain to call it soccer. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I had the same no reaction way. when I first found that out. I was like, what? <laughs> so this is what the British do. They they have all of the words. And then when it becomes popular in America, they gaslight us and <laughs> tell us that it's not popular anymore. And then they that like, that's not the proper thing to say. Oh, my God. Gaslighting girl boss queens. The British. Oh, my God. <laughs> Also, I just found out like this week that the Women's World Cup is this summer. Oh, yeah. I it's I guess it has been four years, but maybe with the Olympics. I don't know. I got all confused and I thought we yeah. had to wait like another four years. And I'm so well, we excited. We had the Men's World Cup. I know. Go, so. which yeah. I didn't watch that one because I was doing my one lady boycott of Qatar. Um, um, and I do yeah. like watching World Cup. It's like the only sports I like watching because it's, it's exciting. It's exciting. And also the decency of being like once every four years. So it's like, <laughs> my God, my husband has you gotten have to pretend to care for a whole season every yeah. year. <laughs> my husband has gotten more and more into basketball the past, you know, five or 10 years. And I cannot stand it because every, especially, I don't know if you've watched the uh, much basketball, but like, by the time you get to the finals, like yeah. you have like your division finals and then the Western Conference finals, every final, it's not like Super Bowl where it's like one game, like you have the yeah. Super Bowl. It's a tournament of seven games. <laughs> oh, so no. if your team is really good at the end of this, the, um, at the end of the regular season, you might have, I think, up to like 28 games to play. To win the championship, which I don't even know. I guess it's just called the championship or something. It's not like the Super Bowl, the Stanley Cup. But like, yeah, it's seven. It's the best out of seven. And so I used to just like be like kind of rooting for the other team and just hopes that Andrew's team would get just like kicked out (laughs) real fast. And then it sucks because now he has like like three different teams that he likes. And it's just like I I just can't stand. I've 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 gotten better about it, and now I just use it as like my reading time. But yeah. like, I'm like the World Cup. Also, it's like at random times, so it's like mm-hmm. you can have it on in the morning while you're like supposed to be bookkeeping, say, <laughs> or doing the dishes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fan. So it's fun, and the excited. women's team is really good. The, the American women's, women's team. I know. I I think the men, the American men's team was actually. Did they actually play? This they time? actually made it. They don't even always make it to. They don't make it. Yeah, they did make it, and uh, they got to like the. Uh, what oh, did they round? I forget. But they, they weren't just kicked out the first round. I don't think they were immediately kicked out the first oh, wow. round. I, I always like rooting for Mexico because I feel like in LA, like Mexico is our team. Oh yeah, and um, also the Mexican team always has like really fun, uh, um, nicknames for all the players, and so <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, but yeah, 
Um, so baseball. Okay, last tangent. Yeah. She um she plays the spinet. She decides that she would like to do music because she right. likes listening to music. And so right. she um starts playing the spinet at eight years old. Yep. Um, and then she stops when she's nine because she could not bear it. Um but I read that the spinet, because I was like, what's the difference between a spinet and a harpsichord? Mm. The spinet is a smaller version of a harpsichord, and it is like if you've ever looked under the like under a the hood of a grand piano, you see like all the strings go straight yeah. back. Yeah. But on a pian- on a spinet, they go at a thirty degree angle. Mm. And so it like also it's so it's kind of mean so you can like kind of squash the the instrument in a More corner. Compact. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I that went that led me down some major rabbit holes this morning because and last night because um old musical instruments are like a favorite of mine Mm. um just because this is a very roundabout but you know that's our brand this is a very roundabout way to talk about something which is that um Okay, so harpsichords are normally pitched to 415 and not the modern standard pitch of A is 440. 440, yeah. Or, or, yeah, or a lot of people have been trying to adjust that to what, 426 or 424? Anyway. 432. 432. Yes. So. When I was in grad school and I had just decided to leave the church, but I didn't really know how to do it or what I was doing. Um, and like, it was one of those times where, I was, okay. So when I first left the church, I was like, Andrew and I talked about it and we were like, yeah, I think the church is bullshit. And we were like, yeah, yeah I guess so. And we just like kept it under our hats for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause we knew like once you tell people, then everyone knows and then your parents know. And then, and then all of a sudden it's become this big thing. Yeah. Um, so I was like, you know what? Let's just like not tell anyone and it will be fine. And I don't think the church was that bad anyway. And so like basically I was in major denial and I thought I yeah. could just like leave without any trauma. Yeah. And Because uh, I was like a little baby. And I um, so I was just going to grad school acting like everything was fine when in reality, you know, Nothing was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> that at- catches up with you. <laughs> yes. But before, like, while it was catching up with me, I, like, went into this deep dive about equal temperament versus just intonation, which mm. is, like, that whole musical theory, which you probably know better than me, but it's, like, about how do you tune an instrument and what instruments can be tuned to what specific keys Right. Because once you look at the mathematics of um, like the vibrations. Yeah. Like every octave. Once you compare different octaves together, like if you really wanted every every note to be a full note different from the other note. Anyway. It like gets messy really fast. Yeah. And I didn't realize that. And I grew up in middle school and what high school I went to, I played the cello. Yeah. And so I was like very familiar with like, um, just like getting a sheet music. Yeah. Yeah. Gets getting sheet music and just playing it without thinking. And in my baby brain, I thought an A is an A is an A. When I sit down to play an orchestra, my friend Joanna, who's always first chair violin, she'll play the A. I tune my cello to that A and then we're off. Yes. Right. And I never realized that there was any kind of frequencies. Any. Yeah. Yeah. And because even so it's measured in Hertz. Yes. um, So when we're talking about 440 or 432, that's that's the frequency in Hertz that the, the wavelength the yes. um is vibrating at. And so you can play an A at the 440 frequency, which is standard tuning, which that didn't become standard until like the 1930s. So if Supposed- you're talking 
there's a rumor that it's like the Nazis came up with 440 yeah. because it's brighter and like a tiny bit sharper sounding. Yeah. yeah. And before that, maybe it was more 432, which is actually easier to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but most pianos, see, like it all gets also balled in with the like the popularity of the piano and stuff because certain instruments are tuned to a certain frequency like i played the clarinet and it's called the b the b flat clarinet the type that i because its natural tone is like b flat and then if you're if you play a different you know a smaller one or different yeah different instruments are like their natural so when you're tuning in the orchestra if other people are playing an a I'm playing a B flat technically, oh. but on the clarinet, it's also an A or, or C. Every, everyone's playing a C, but technically it's a B flat um, on a different, oh, yes. from like the piano or something. Or yeah. the, you know what I mean? That's, yeah. Yeah. So it gets really complicated and certain things like, um, like cellos and violins and violas, are pretty easy to change the intonation. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, and probably while I was playing, I didn't even realize that like I was adjusting yeah. to certain intonations, but, um, but pianos, you kind of have to set them and forget them. You can't, yeah. you can't just go They're in and, and willy nilly, like mess around with the strings in a piano. Right. Um, harpsichords were a little bit easier to go in and adjust so there was some wiggle room yeah um so that's why i'm like interested in that because yeah guitars also like any fretted instrument is really hard to play with just intonation you have to do the equal temperament which is like the kind of more imprecise um tuning whereas in just intonation you kind of listen to each note and then you adjust your next note and make it a little bit flatter or sharper to, to sound better to the note preceding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also that doesn't even go into like the fact that, you know, before, um, you know, in the 17, 16, 17, 1800s, like if you were a traveling musician in Europe, you would probably be tuning your, your instrument based on what city you were in because different cities had different intonations that they are uh, sorry different cities had a different a that they would tune to yeah um and it was all over the place mm-hmm. so it kind of blew my mind that this thing that i had just assumed was set in stone which was an a is 440 right was actually like just something that we all made up and just like agreed on yeah. And it was relatively recent. And that's just and, in Western music, too, when you're talking yeah. about the different types of other. Although, yeah. Although, actually, they said that, like, uh, there was a Chinese scholar who came up with a theory of equal temperament in the 1500s, like, independently mm-hmm. um, as well. Um, but the. I feel like it was like this, this. um like kind of this metaphor for me where I was like finding out that the foundations of my life were like (laughs) shattering. Yeah. And a way for me to talk about that was just Mm. to get really deep into like fretted instruments and be like, (laughs) but the A is not an A and A is a changeable thing. Like what's happening here? And like this immutable. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And um, yeah. So I did like a few art pieces based on that um, whole concept because I was just like, again, freaking out. I was freaking the fuck out, but I didn't realize it at the time. I definitely had like a few really nice professors be like, have you considered therapy? (laughs) Seems like you're going through something. I don't, I don't think this is just about uh, the cello and the the guitar. They were were so (laughs) kind about it and they probably saved my life. They were like, you know what? I've, you know, I've been through something and therapy really helped me. (laughs) Um, But like, it wasn't just like, yeah, it wasn't so dismissive as I make it sound, but yeah, it was very helpful. 
Anyway, so she played the spinet for a year yes. and then uh, was excited to not do that anymore. So is the spinet tuned? How? What's the tuning the like? Spinet the spinet seems like it's also like very, very easily tuned. Yeah. Um, like you can adjust the tuning kind of like a harpsichord. Yeah. Um, actually, like variations, there was also this merger of the spinet and the piano because it, it was just like this way to make the the strings angled so you could fit an instrument in a small space Mm -hmm. and so actually they said in the until the 1930s there was actually like a spinet piano that was like very popular because it was like a small instrument that was cheap Mm. to purchase during the great depression Mm. um yeah but uh wait what was your question (laughs) i was (laughs) I was asking about the tuning of the spinet and because we were talking about yeah. the intonation and the difference between that and the piano. Yeah. Like I think, I, yeah, I think it's definitely not as easy as like a cello or a stringed instrument as most of the other stringed instruments. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but also like the diagrams of spinets and harpsichords are really confusing and um i guess the the strings aren't tapped with like a little leather bit like yeah yeah, like a um in a piano instead they're like plucked somehow yeah Yeah. that's why it gives it that more they have that more twangy sound sound. Yeah. yeah yeah um uh is there anything else you've been reading The Catherine Moreland Method of Homeschooling is a radical new way of educating the modern Regency woman. When children are given the choice between sitting for long periods, reading sermons and poetry, or rolling down grassy hills, it's a no-brainer. The experience they gain through physical exercise and excessive novel reading will make your child thrive and grow into a strange, unaccountable character, a woman of charming naivete who is unburdened by the knowledge of etiquette in polite society. What a breath of fresh air! This is the curriculum the social elites don't want you to know about, but can be yours for a mere 10 pounds. Cricket equipment and horses for riding not included. Oh, did we say our favorite lines? No, we didn't. I kind of read the whole two chapters out loud, and I definitely already read my favorite line out loud, which was, the rolling down the green slope at the back yeah, of the house. Yeah, that's a good just, one. I really, I really liked the beginning when they're just describing, you know, <laughs> Catherine as this anti-heroine. And then um, when they're talking about her father, which this was funny to me because I was like, does she have a thing against men named Richard? Yes. Because <laughs> we just read in Persuasion, the brother who's named Richard. He was like, her father was a clergyman without being neglected or poor and a very respectable man, though his name was Richard. <laughs> and he had never been handsome. <laughs> and then I and then I really like this line. He had a considerable independence besides two good livings, and he was not in the least addicted to locking up his daughters. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> Um, I, I did see a footnote in my book about that. And it was that like, that was referring some how to like court drama that had happened at some point. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And it was like, this shows what side of the drama Jane Austen was on. Yes. Actually, I've, I've heard, um, or I read some about this book and that it's like the most, meta like it has the most like cultural references that people would have understood at her time you know especially like the the literary works and all of the the places and and names and things like it's it's very like if you were a modern reader reading this um during her time period like you would have understood a lot of the things that she's referencing which we dismiss yeah like these yeah there were references that we kind of just skipped over when it says that she was when she was from 15 to 17, she was in training for a heroine and she oh, yes. read all the works as heroines must read to supply their memories. Yes. 
um, with those quotations, which are so serviceable and so soothing in the vicissitudes of their eventful lives. So then she just like lists off like some Shakespeare and Pope and other kind of quotes, which actually quite a few of them are funny. It's not like this, like like Shakespeare. That's like, you're like, wait, what did he say? Quotes are great. Yeah. The Shakespeare (laughs) quote is the poor beetle, which we tread upon and corporal sufferance feels a pang as great as when a giant dies. Yeah. Like, okay. That is not like the (laughs) most, I mean, that's like a, Thing to think about Shakespeare but like that's not like when yeah. you're like looking for something that's like to be or not to be or yeah it's not like the grand sweeping romantic one or the yeah. yeah like yeah a lot of the a lot of the references that she makes are actually funny like even the yeah. the young woman always looks like patience on a monument smiling at grief yeah like I have to look up I'm sure that has this in the annotated version of what um, I know sonnet I'm, or I'm gonna... play like the trifles light as air are to the jealous confirmation strong as proofs of holy writ. Like that sounds like Othello to me, but I'm not sure. Um, um, I yeah, I'm gonna. I'm so jealous of your copy that you're getting of the annotated <laughs> copy, and I'm probably gonna order it myself. And then my husband will be like, "Why do you have so many Jane Austen books?" Because this is the annotated one. <laughs> yeah, it's different. Yeah. It's so different. Um, uh, is there anything else you're reading or watching besides the mysteries of Udolfo? Yeah, are you mysteries of Udolfo really took up uh, the bulk of my reading. What What was that face? Um, I just looked it up in my footnotes. It says that really was Othello. Yeah! You like earned a million gold stars. You were such a smarty pants. Oh my god. <laughs> all right sorry so what were you saying oh my god my mind is blown i didn't realize i was talking to such a genius i mean it's for it's jealousy that's like the main theme of othello so i was like this sounds like othello i think okay <laughs> whatever i i mean i think that i think there's a few other plays where people are jealous but i wouldn't know because i was not a big drama nerd <laughs> I would like to know, I would like to have gotten more into Shakespeare, but I feel like whenever anyone's trying to sell it and then they like read a few lines, I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> I, I had really good teachers. Mm. I had a really good teacher in university. Um, and also when I was a teenager, that's when um, the Leonardo DiCaprio, Romeo and Juliet came out and it, it was like a Shakespeare renaissance. Uh, and you were allowed to watch that. I was. It was literature. <laughs> oh, because your mom is a drama nerd herself. Yes, my mom was a okay. theater theater major, and she became an English teacher later. So you know, theater, drama, literature. I love how our parents were like so like. I don't. Or there the, are certain loopholes that right? yes. <laughs> Because my parents were, like, never going to let me watch that. But then, yeah. like, they also let me, like, you know, go to the museum and see a bunch of naked people. But if there was a naked person on a television screen, that wasn't okay. Right. And they even, like, I feel like I was 16 when they started letting me go to, like, life drawing classes. So I saw naked people in real life. <laughs> but, like, God forbid they let me watch a Baz Luhrmann film right. or something. It was, like, it was very strange, their uh, questionable ethics. Yeah. Well, it's not the nakedness. It's the the sin involved with being naked on screen and having sex. Even though, you know, like most of those naked people in the museums were essentially like the 1800s version of like people having sex on screen where it was like, oh, oh, this. Oh, this is this is a scene from Greek from a Greek myth. And it just happens to be of two people having sex. <laughs> yeah. Um, but wow. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I still have, I don't think I've seen that still. You haven't seen the Romeo and no. Juliet. Um, I, it's good. I, uh, I mean, it's, uh, now dated. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. But it's fun. It's a, it's, it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Little little baby Leonardo DiCaprio. No, when it was like actually appropriate for him to be dating other babies. Yeah. 
Have you seen that graph online that was like Leo's girlfriends and how old he is? No. Oh, I'll send it to you. Oh, it's no. like someone like made an amazing PowerPoint of That's like terrible. of like his dating decisions and how he breaks up with everyone like before they turn 26, I think. Yeah, I haven't seen that, but I have seen the the meme, the uh, meme uh. of um uh the Pride and Prejudice. Oh. Um, where, um, oh, God, now my, uh, what's her name? Elizabeth and. Um, Darcy? No, no, her best friend. Charlotte. Um, Charlotte. It's the meme of Charlotte. And she said, she said, I'm already, you know, I'm, I'm scared. Like I'm already past my prime. Like I'm, I'm already a burden <laughs> to my parents. And she says, and I'm already too old to date Leonardo DiCaprio. And I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause she'd be 27. 27. Oh my God. <laughs> there was also a picture of, um, there was also a picture of Leo and his latest girlfriend, and it said that that was the same age difference as Pedro Pascal and Bella. What's her face? Oh, from um from the, the Last, Last of Us. Us. It's the same age. It's like they're the same ages, and yeah. like how Pedro is like her dad, and uh, yeah, great, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, so what have you been reading? Okay, so I've been mostly, I feel like it's, it's been a while since we last recorded, yeah. but I feel like I've been reading the same, like, Gilded Age Ooh. murder mystery nice. books, like, because that was also known as the Golden Age of Mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've read, like, quite a few. I really, there's a few good Ellery Queen novels that I've read. Um, and he was very popular back in the day. Um, it was really two cousins that were writing under the same, uh, or they were writing together. Yeah. Um, uh, but I just started a, a memoir that I love, 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 love. Um, I just started it like yesterday Ooh. and I'm halfway done with it. Wow. Uh, just because it's so good and I love it's called Stay True um, by Hua Su. Um, okay. He is a professor at Bard and um, is a New Yorker staff writer. Um, and this book like won all the awards last year. And mm-hmm. I think it won the Pulitzer and like it was on all the best lists. And I meant to read it. And then I was at our local bookstore and they didn't have the book I wanted and so I got this one instead. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad I did. Um, it's a memoir about his friendship with a college friend of his who passes away mm-hmm. in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't gotten to that sad part, but I've gotten like, but it's like also a memoir of this guy who like grew up second generation Taiwanese American Um And he is like kind of in the 80s. He goes to uh, Berkeley University, uh, UC Berkeley, I think in the mid 90s. So it's just like also just like this story of his life. Uh But, you know, it's like I really, really love it so far because I was telling a friend of mine trying. I, you know, I do the thing where I'm like trying to push this book now on everyone where it's like very smart like he he threw out the word telos and um and in a sentence he's like obviously a very smart person he reads like a bunch of like critical theory for fun Mm -hmm. which i don't understand again like maybe because i was just forced to read so much of it in college it feels like the worst homework that it's like if you were gonna like if you were going to like pull out my fingernails, I still might prefer that over reading this, these books. Yeah. And I wish I was the kind of person who could read them, but I, I'm not. <laughs> and so he's very smart, but it's not like in your face smartness. Yeah. You know, he's not doing it just to impress you. It's just like, I don't know, it, but it makes it very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And it's like emotion, like he obviously has emotions and it's going to be like, it's a heavy, 
not even, but it doesn't feel like a heavy book. And that's why I was worried about reading it. Cause I was like, yeah. it's about someone who dies yeah. or something, but it's like, I don't know. And he just captures this like life so well. And I love just being able to slip into that, the shoes of someone who is like, you know, whose parents were recent immigrants and, and that right. experience. And he kind of like, talks about the history of the Taiwanese and Chinese like immigration into America mm-hmm. with again without being preachy you're just like kind of absorbing it yeah and um I just really 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 love it so and it's like an easy read and as I said like I did I buy it yesterday or the day before and I've or and I'm like halfway through it already so I would highly recommend it again nice. also it's like you know he talks about like photography because you know, back in the day, you know, you just had like a disposable camera or something and you didn't take photos that often. So he doesn't have that many photos of him and his friend and, and then they're interspersed in the book. Anyway, uh-huh. it's just like a lovely book and I would recommend it. Nice. Um, but yeah. Uh, are we actually done with everything? I think so. I think that's mostly, yeah, yeah cause. Cause we went through all the tangents. We, we went through all the tangents. There wasn't too much to talk about in the actual chapters. It's so much fun. It's it's going to be fun. I'm I so excited. I, I feel like this is a perfect book. summer book. It is. It's it's more lighthearted. It's yeah. It's it's fun. Um, and I can't wait to tell you about all the mysteries of Udolfo. I am going to start reading it because I feel like it sounds wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I enjoy it. And it's definitely the type of book that I could see somebody bringing with them on vacation. Right. And then like, you know, spending spending the the quiet hours or when it's raining or something reading and, you know, just getting into the it it definitely has like, you know, a tone, like a vibe like you can get into the sort of atmosphere of it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And there are parts that are you know, again, gasp inducing and like, yes. uh, scary. Um, yeah. And, and there's funny parts too. Like there are, there are characters that are like, you know, a little bit of comic relief. Um, and it is long, so you just have to, you know, be ready I, for, I to, like, to go on the journey. <laughs> I, on a, I really enjoy a long book. I actually like sometimes don't pick up books because I get worried that they're too short. Yeah. I'm like, if I really like it, then I'll get into it. And then mm-hmm. as soon as I'm into it, you're telling me it's going to be over. Like exactly. that's just not, that's not yeah. okay. Yeah. I love a good, like epic, uh, long, like sweeping book. If it's good, if it's, yeah. 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 I liked it. And I can, and you can definitely see, um, sort of, like I can definitely see Jane Austen reading this and how it's mm. like one of her influences, you know, not directly, but like it just you're like, oh, yeah, this it makes sense. This podcast was produced and edited by me, Laurel Nakai. Uh, the music is also by me. Akina Cox does the artwork and you can get in touch with us. Let us know how you like this episode at uh, email us at Jane Austen Culture Night at gmail.com, or you can come find me on TikTok uh, at Jane Cult Pod. It's kind of fun over there. Um, we're almost never on Twitter anymore, but we're, I mean, we technically have a Twitter. Um, and uh, yeah, let us know how you like it. We're so excited to read this novel with you. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back. Like, had enough. And so yeah. I was like, you know what? I love this brush so much. It's the best brush. I'm going to just Google and see if I can buy it again. Yeah. And it was a, I think it was a Holbein um, mongoose brush. And I Googled it and they're fucking illegal now because, (laughs) (laughs) because they, these brushes are like, especially from back in the day, they like, they still use like boar hair and stuff for brushes, but Back in the day, there were like the sable brushes, which I think I still have a couple. And the oh, they made out of actual animal hair. Yeah. Oh. And so, like, some of these animals are in danger now. <laughs> or it's like illegal to keep them. And so, like, 
I have other mongoose brushes still of like different sizes, but this yeah. is like a smaller one that I use like often. Yeah. And um, I still love the big size ones, but I was like, I they only came up in pictures of like seized goods and like, yeah, you can't <laughs> buy them anymore. And I was like, so sad. And then I was like, how do I look up black market mongoose brushes? Do you I don't want me to take ever... this part out of the recording? So <laughs> no. in, case, in case some... Uh... I feel like this must have had to be grandfathered in. Because again, I'm very old and this happened a long time ago. But yes, you know, if the FBI does want to seize my last remaining mongoose brush, like, come and get it. But... Um, <laughs> They should have bigger priorities right now. They really should. I mean, um, to like, where did that Jared Kushner money come from? The Saudis, like, go go research that. When you're done, like, come back and find me. But yeah, it was it was a very sad day when I realized I couldn't buy. It. And I'm like a vegetarian, and I do, and I most days I essentially eat vegan, and I I do support animal rights, but like. This is a great you're seizing, these, you're seizing these brushes and you can just give them to me. I'll take such good care of them. <laughs> yeah. What are they going to do? Just end up in a landfill? Like, I don't come know. On, just give them to me. Them. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody has illegal uh, mongoose brushes, you can send them to Akina. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or if you know, like, in the FBI, like, where they're stored. <laughs> let, me, let me know. Maybe I can make friends with someone. Just lose a couple mongoose brushes. <laughs> oh, no.